Hi, our Bible reading this morning is in Deuteronomy, and it's in, on page 205, and it's in chapter 30. And Moses is there, and he's continuing this very long set of instructions to the people before they're about to enter the promised land. So, chapter 30. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I've commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands, in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I've set before you today life, prosperity, death and destruction. For I commanded you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to and 
enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is our life, is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rick. Good morning. So, I'm um, going to England, back to um, my hometown at the end of the month, to go to a friend's wedding. And I've been trying to live uh, in the here and now, in light of that future reality. Because the thing that's bothering me the most is not my friend's wedding, it's the fact that I'm going to hang out with brothers and sisters. And this is um, my brother Richard and my sister Kath. They're both older than me, but they've just completed an ultramarathon. So that's a 56-kilometer run, kind of taking in a sort of Mount Lofty summit kind of hill as well. I mean, they're, they're super fit. And not, honestly, I get a bit embarrassed about how comparatively unfit I am when I'm with them. And they're keen to point it out to me as well. So I've been trying to cut down on bad eating, and I've been trying to exercise more in these recent weeks in light of that future reality of seeing them and hanging out with them. Now, this morning, we've come to the, the high point, the sort of the rhetorical climax of Deuteronomy. It's not the last chapter. Um, read the rest for yourself. But this is the point it's all pointing to. There's a stark choice. Verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. And verse 19, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set you before you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So it's a choice uh, simply put for those Israelites in front of Moses as they're about to enter the, the land that God set aside for them. But it's a choice that they've got to make in light of the future reality that God promises them. To choose life in their here and now in light of the fact that God will help them to choose life in the future. And it's also a choice for us now to choose life in light of God's promises to give us life right now and into the future. So we'll get into chapter 30. I'll just pray before we get going. Heavenly Father, thanks for your your word in in Deuteronomy that we've been able to get into. Um, So please help us now to hear you in real uh, life-changing ways, just like those Israelites sat next to the Jordan waiting to go into the promised land. Please speak to us sat in a school hall in Hove in the same uh, clear way, uh, in life-changing ways. Amen. 
So we'll get into chapter 30, but we'll, uh, what we'll do is we'll look at this sort of sneak preview God gives them and how things are going to pan out. We'll look at the promise of, of graceful intervention that God um, makes to rescue and restore them. And then finally, we'll look at what the right response is for them and for us to God's promises. So that's where we're heading, and there's an outline there. So our first heading, just when you thought it was over. So let's have a look at this sneak preview that God's given them. And it's a funny way of starting an inspirational or sort of having a high point of an inspirational pep talk, isn't it? Before going into promised land. Because it sounds like God would have been perfectly just telling Moses to say to them, you know what, we've given it a good go. You know, it didn't start well. I've given you your chance in the desert to straighten yourselves out. But I've done my research, and it's just not going to work out. Inspirational pep talk. I remember when we were emigrating to Australia. Uh, I was telling a bloke at work, and he said, well, oh, Australia? Oh, I know a bloke who's just moved to Queensland. He said he just sweats morning, noon, and night. There's no re- relief. Uh, there's flies everywhere. There's deadly spiders. You can't go in the water because something might try and eat you. Um, everything's more expensive. It's hard to get a job, and houses are unaffordable. Still, good luck. Hope, you, uh, hope it all goes well for you. <laughs> Thanks for the inspiration, right? Uh, that seems to be what Moses is doing here at first glance, doesn't it? So at verse 1, it's not all bad news. They will experience the blessings they've just been hearing about in chapters 27 to 29. But all the curses will be theirs as well. All the curses. And there's about, if you count them up, there's about three curses to every blessing in those chapters. So that's a lot of curses. So even before they go into the land, they know it's inevitable that they will disobey. That they will choose death and destruction and end up banished into exile. And the thing is, in terms of the covenant, the promises that God has made with them and their ancestors... God would be completely justified in pulling the plug there and then. Like he's more than, God has more than kept his side of the bargain, despite extreme provocation already. Before they've entered the land, um, where they're going to go on and prove themselves uh, just unwilling to consistently obey. God owes them nothing. Curses and exile are their just deserts. And each one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, know it's all we deserve from God too. We all turn against him and deserve punishment. Uh, In Romans 2, we we find out that we we fall short even by the standard of our own consciences. And I've heard it illustrated like this. Imagine you've never known anything about God. So all you've got to go off is your own conscience. Now, imagine you have a voice recorder with you your whole life, and it only records when you use the word ought, or when you're telling others what they should do, when you're telling others what you think is right and wrong. And then finally you die, and you meet God, and you say to God, well, I didn't know anything about you, so you can't judge me for not following your ways. So God says, well, okay, we'll play your recorder, and we'll judge you by your own standards. Which of us would stand? And how much less then 
can we stand before our good, fair, holy God, knowing what we've done? And yet, and yet, from verse 2 almost, the rest of that paragraph is good news. Fortunes restored, the scattered and banished gathered back home, obedience, prosperity, bumper crops, by every measure, a success story, even better. So just when the reasonable thing will be for it all to be over for God's people, God will bring them back. And why? Because God is good. All these things are going to be given to them just by God's sheer grace. So God will curse them because he's good, because he's just and holy and good and fair. So he can't just let prideful, evil rebellion go unpunished. So we'll curse because he's good. And yet God will generously not just forgive them, but restore them to something even better because he's good. And this tension runs all the way through this chapter, through Deuteronomy, through the Old Testament. How can God be true to his goodness while still being true to his goodness? That tension, we'll come back to that. But we'll have another question as well. Given Israel have and will have a proven track record of being ratbags, how is it then, verse 2, they're going to suddenly magically return to God and obey him and love him with all their heart and soul? What's going to be the difference? Because we could all fill up our voice recorder pretty quickly, couldn't we? We all know what we should do. We should hold back that snide remark, control that temper, Switch off that unhelpful TV show. Forgive that person who's wronged us. We know what we should do. The problem is, we need help doing it. We need help doing it. We need heart surgery. It's our next heading. So as I said, I've been trying to eat and exercise in light of that future reality of seeing my family. Uh, And to be honest, I've not done very well. Okay, because you, you know, you've got a different stomach for desserts, haven't you? And, and calories you have when you're out with somebody don't count. You know? I've been offered chocolate or I end up eating out for lunch and, and make poor choices. But wouldn't it be great if I woke up each day with this overwhelming desire to go for a run? And if I just, I just wasn't interested at all in any food that was bad for me and I just absolutely loved kale and I couldn't get enough of mung bean salad and organic watercress. Because then I could really transform. Well, God promises the Israelites that he will change them from the inside out. Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the house of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. So circumcise their hearts. What does that mean? Well, it's the idea that God will change them from the inside out, that he will do spiritual surgery on their hearts. So your heart in the Bible, it's the center of your will. So your heart is what you trust people with. 
that your heart is what you um, hope with, what you decide you will treasure. That, that's all your heart. And God promises that a day will come when that crippling inability to obey will end, when we will truly be able to choose life. And the good news for us is that the New Testament tells us that this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. It tells us in a few places. Here's two. Colossians 2 verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And Philippians 3 3. For it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. God comes into our hearts by his spirit as we come to believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection and trust in him. And our transformation begins. Now, it's not instant. I'm sure you know that. We don't stop sinning altogether. We're still broken people in a broken world. But the fact that you have sinned this week doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But your starting point has changed. God has turned your heart to face him, to run the race for Jesus. It's a race that you're guaranteed to win in Jesus. But God will be at work in you to keep changing you, to more and more choose life and become more and more like Jesus. Your struggle against sin is no longer hopeless because it's no longer all down to you. So as we spur one another on, as we grow in Christian maturity, and as God's Spirit works in us, gradually what we ought to do and what we want to do become more and more the same thing. So what we ought to do and what we want to do become more and more aligned. Uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, that famous hymn, he wrote another hymn. He probably wrote a few, I think, but this one puts it really well. There's a slide for that. Thanks, friend. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we've seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. You know, if you find yourself struggling with a sin, uh, with something that you keep going back to that you know God doesn't want you to. And you feel really torn apart by that struggle. Well, take that as a good sign. Because in that tug of war in your heart, God is at the other end of that rope. And that tension you're feeling is because he's changing you. I know it can be terrifying to let go. To give up on going our own way. Uh, it's been terrifying to hand over control to God. But he is good. God is trustworthy. He's full of grace. 
And Jesus has already won for you. So keep looking to the beauty of Jesus and all he's done for you. And he will increasingly become your highest pleasure. You see, it's not rocket science, our next heading. You know, most of the world's religions have um, some sort of great truth quest element to them. A path to enlightenment, to discover, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So when I was a kid, we, um, one of my favorite TV shows was uh, Monkey Magic. Yeah. Did you have that in Australia? Yeah. yeah, 80s kids, they're all nodding, yeah. The best show, completely crackers and surreal. Uh, I won't even begin to tell you what it's about because it makes no sense. It's about a monkey god and a pig god and all in this, this quest. That but there was a line in it that the narrator always said, they're on a pilgrimage quest. A quest that would last a lifetime. It was really exciting. Well, Moses reminds Israel that their truth quest is well, it's pretty boring, actually. You know, verse 11. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask, who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. So the problem is, that, that not that they're in search of the truth. They're not going into the land on a quest to find the truth and how to live for God and know God. No, they already know God. God's already revealed them, himself to them and he's told them exactly how to live the best possible life they could in the land um, through his law. And God's conclusion is, it's not all too hard. It's doable. Now, it's probably the case that the way Hebrew tenses work, verse, verse 11 is, is the, could be, you know, it says now. That could be the now of when God has circumcised their hearts. So that verse 14 means that, that when, after God has intervened to transform them from the inside out, his word is on their hearts. Uh, but regardless, the generation in front of Moses as he's speaking are being called to obey as if this was already completely true for them. And for us now, Jesus has come to make all this true. It's even simpler. And the Apostle Paul quotes these verses from Deuteronomy in his letter to the Romans in chapter 10 and relates them to Jesus. And he concludes this. Tell, you know, tell me if this is too complicated. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that complicated? Is that too difficult or beyond your reach? You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, why not? Because I think whatever your objections, whatever the barriers you have, However high the cost, those things are not insurmountable. They're not beyond your reach. And remember verse 4. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, 
from there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. No one is too far gone. No one is beyond God's reach. Jesus is real and he simply calls to you, follow me. He calls you to choose life. It's our last heading. Choose life. Moses finally sums up everything he's been preaching to them. They've got a simple choice. Choose life or choose death. Verse 15 again. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This 19, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Uh, just, there's lots we could say. Three things to say about these final verses. First, notice it is the heart orientation that is first and obedience comes from that. So verse 16, love the Lord your God. Uh, and that is worked out in walking in obedience. Or alternatively, turning our hearts away from God works out in worshipping other gods. See, our hearts are never neutral. Uh, we're always trusting in, hoping in, treasuring something or someone. And choosing to love God with our hearts is choosing life. Israel's obedience as they entered the land was to be a sneak preview, a prelude to God's people's future total obedience. And as we seek to obey God now in our lives, we can do, do so knowing that God has circumcised our hearts, uh, beginning, he's already begun his work in us, which will be complete uh, when we die to go to meet him or Jesus returns. So we can live in obedience now, in light of knowing we will fully and perfectly obey in our future salvation. So heart first. And then secondly, notice that God's ways Moses has set before them, he describes as life and prosperity. In other words, God's ways are good. They are life-giving. Now, people try and sell us the idea don't they, that God is some sort of cosmic killjoy, that God's worked out what we might want to do and then set his law against it. That is a distortion. It's a con. It's not true. God's ways are good. Now, sometimes God's ways will go against what everybody else says, what our culture says is true and life-giving. But we can be confident that God's ways are not only true, they are good, they're excellent. Uh, living in obedience to God and encouraging others to follow his ways is the loving thing to do. Because God's ways are life-giving and good.
Now, let's be clear. We should expect loving God to bring us suffering. It will cost us friendships. It will cost us time and money. Yet even that heartache following God brings, God will use that to bless us and to work in us to make us more like Jesus. God's ways are good and excellent and life-giving. So heart first, God's ways are good. And third thing to say, verse 20, the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. So don't miss that throughout Deuteronomy, throughout this chapter, throughout the Bible, it's all God's initiative in showing us grace first that is the basis of our relationship with him. So brothers and sisters in Christ, never fall back on relying on you obeying God's laws as the basis of your relationship with him. Always keep turning back to Trusting in, relying on Jesus and obeying response to that. We all deserve the consequences of disobeying God. Verse 18, typical consequences, you will certainly be destroyed. Well, the Apostle Paul again, verse in Galatians, puts it like this. Uh, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But then a couple of verses later, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. The truth is, all of us have in some way chosen curse, chosen death. But Jesus took that curse on himself on the cross. So this is where the tension is resolved. In Jesus, God was fully true to his goodness in being holy and just and fair and not letting evil go unpunished. And he was true to his goodness in giving us mercy, grace, and forgiveness that's ours if we believe and trust in Jesus. And it's when you catch glimpses of God's goodness on the cross, you feel your heart being circumcised, can't you? To finish them, visiting Roy Wilby in his final weeks, I was just struck how at peace he was about his present and future reality. Now, of course, he was worried about Heather. In typical Roy, he wanted to make a load of his famous sausage rolls and freeze them for his own funeral. (laughs) But he wasn't worried about his final destination. He knew he was safe with Jesus, and he's with him now, obeying him perfectly. What Roy wants to do and what he does do now are perfectly aligned with what he ought to do in God's presence. And I'm not going to make out Roy's perfect, but my memories of him are of him seeking to live in light of that. He was a man who God was transforming 
And that was demonstrated in his care, in his humble, no-fuss service, and his very quiet acts of generosity. So like Roy, choose life. Choose to give over your life to Jesus, continually trusting in him for your right standing with God. And choose to obey God, following Jesus and his ways, trusting God to keep transforming you into Jesus' likeness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that in Jesus you've done everything for us. You've shown us great mercy and you've fulfilled justice in giving us life, giving us everything we need. Um, we'll take this opportunity to, to give our life to Jesus now, either for the first time or again, turning back to him, relying on him to save us from our sins and bring us forgiveness, bring us into right relationship with you. In Jesus, we choose life. Please keep, be at work in us by your spirit to keep transforming us more into his likeness so that others, you may be glorified so that others may choose life as well. In Jesus' name, amen.